Serum Visions is a Magic the Gathering podcast about iterative brewing. Each episode, we work on a project, a deck, strategy, or archetype that we think has room for exploration and brew to the fringes of competitive deck building. In this episode, we'll be taking a step back to examine the meta and rethink the way that we build our decks and interact with our opponents. After that, we'll check back in with updates to the Mystic Forge deck known as Silvergak. Uh, we'll also sprinkle in a little bit of prison and some other things along the way. Have a sip of your Blink Moth tonic and open your third eye. eye. This is Serum Visions. Welcome to episode 23 of the Serum Visions podcast. Coming to you from the bottom of a portable hole, I am one of your hosts, Brian Madden. Joining me is the man who first discovered that a sphere of annihilation is just the byproduct of a Niblonian's digestive tract, Zach Ryle. How are you, Zach? I am so good. Listen, I have gone back and watched um, through all of Rick and Morty because they've got a new season. Um, And then when I got through that, I watched a bunch of Futurama um, and I did not know you were going to be making that joke. And uh, man, do I love Billy West playing Zap Brannigan. Rare Brigadier Zap Brannigan. Oh, yeah. He's got just some of the most incredibly, like, applicable, wonderfully comedic things. Just, oh, my God. Billy West, what a talent. The original, or not the original Stimpy, but the replacement Stimpy as well as so many other voices that you might be surprised to know that he did. That Stimpy, man, there's a throwback. I have not thought about Ren and Stimpy in quite some time, although I, I Log is is, uh, is a, a favorite of mine. I think, you know, in spite of not Oh, like, it's Log, it's Log. Exactly. It's Log, Log, it's big, it's heavy, it's wood. It's Log, Log, it's better than dark, it's good. Yeah, and and that that always makes me think too of um, on South Park they kind of nailed that with um, they, they when they were trying to all the American companies were trying to compete with Chin Pokemon in terms of how they could market to the kids and they had a wild wacky action bike it's impossible to ride wild wacky action bike it's like this tricycle with like one extra wheel and everything's like the wrong size wild wacky action bike is impossible to ride it's uh, oh man it, it's uh it's it's even more funny in retrospect like compared to modern commercialism like looking back at super soaker commercials and stuff and you were like oh we were so naive we didn't even know the hacking of the basic um sort of gambling uh uh instinct that uh, gotchi games and uh and uh, freemium games would do yeah do they now we have were skins? so innocent do, do they have skins for super soakers yet can i get my super oh, soaker man. loot box you know what i don't even want to look but i bet you on the itunes store right now you can get a mobile game that involves super soakers for your phone <laughs> don't at me i don't want to know but i i feel like it must exist 
Sadly, Arun could not make it this week as he's out on safari. Uh, at least I think he is. Or he went to the moon or the bottom of the ocean. I'm. I, I always get those. He confused. might be planting more fruit trees uh, or or something else that is uh, making the world a better place. Uh, but we're going to be here commenting uh, from our armchairs uh, or maybe from the uh, challenge queues about the uh, state of uh, Magic the Gathering's modern format. Oh, yeah. Well, either way, have a good vacation, buddy. Oh, absolutely. Dr. Combo uh, definitely needs his R&R. Sweet. So let's not waste any time. I want to talk about this meta and just, you know, I... I want to talk about the specifics, but I also want to talk about the broader sort of fallout from Modern Horizons 2 and a little bit from AFR. Um, not that I have seen a whole lot of it, but uh, I'm excited about Portable Hole. So, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get no, to I mean, that. let's touch on it first. Like, I would say one of the only standouts from uh, Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, which is the new. Uh, D&D themed Magic the Gathering set, which again, uh, is replacing the core set, so in theory, we should have low expectations of this set. I mean, in recent history, core sets have only provided cards to eternal formats on the power level of, like, very forgettable cards like Veil of Summer, or Field of the Dead, or Aethergust, Never heard of it. or Fry, just the cards that you really couldn't imagine would have any competitive chops. Um, and AFR uh, is definitely... No, but all joking aside, um, uh, Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, I mean, uh, we've had some strange standouts this year um, in terms of what has affected Eternal formats. So um, Zendikar, for example, had all the uh, modal double-face cards that were lands, and that enabled the Oops All Spells archetype. Um, So... Even though that set overall had very low impact cards in terms of power level, um, that mechanical impl- implementation was very impactful. Um, Kaldheim uh, literally kind of ground Modern to a halt for two weeks with the Valky Cascade decks until they changed the rules on that. Um, and that was also the same timing that they took to ban out Simeon Spirit Guide and a number of other very powerful cards. Um, but generally speaking this year has been a bit of a cooler and um, less cards from standard legal sets have been impactful than the previous couple of years um, there's been a few standouts just to recap things like velomachus lorehold and prismari command um, i'm sure there's more than that those are in a deck that i play so they're easier for me to remember um, so portable hole is a reasonable fit into the modern metagame however we got to remember when it was spoiled. When it was spoiled, um, we had not yet seen pr- Prismatic Ending. No, we had not. So Modern true. Horizons Two, um, Prismatic Ending, which uh, for anyone who's not aware of it is X in a white, um, exile target permanent. If its converted mana cost or mana value is less than or equal to the number of colors spent to cast on this uh, cast this spell, so it has converge. Um, so prismatic ending can remove anything from zero cost up till five cost, as long as you have up to five colors to spend on it. Um, but it's always mana for mana, the, the sort of same efficiency as whatever your opponent played. Um, portable hole is a single white mana for an artifact. Uh, it removes, or it 
exiles an opponent's permanent, non-land permanent, of a mana value two or less. So it can be more efficient than Prismatic Ending, but with the downside that if your opponent uh, ever removes this portable hole, then they'll get their permanent back. But it has a pretty good uh, application against uh, uh, Karnstructs from Urza Saga. Um, if you unattach it from your opponent's uh, uh, creature that they got a Colossus Hammer onto, maybe they invested some resources in getting that done. Um, so it definitely had some applications in Modern. And we saw that come to fruition with uh, the one and only Dominic Harvey uh, managing to top eight with the first week of uh, Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, which was last week as of this date, which is uh, the 17th of seventeenth uh, of July. So that was on the, uh, I believe it was on the 11th that he top eighted with a blue-white Wurza deck. It might have been the 10th. Actually, I think it was the 10th. But he had a blue-white Wurza deck, which looked a lot like old blue-black Urza decks. Um, so I'm sure you followed this, Brian. What did you think of that deck? Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, hey, if it's working. I, so at first glance, to me, it looks a little untuned. Um, I actually mm. think that this was the same list uh, that Sneaky Masato was running in the prelim the night before. So I think it was like Friday night, Sneaky Masato went 3-1 with this list, and then the next morning, Dom Harvey took it to uh, that challenge top eight. And, you know, there's just some choices that I'm not quite sure I understand. There's four Mishra's Bobble, but there are no Emery, there is no Goblin Engineer, there's no way to recur those Bobbles. And... The only thing that really makes sense to me is that it's also running for Whir of Invention. So really, the Bobbles are a Whir enabler as much as they are, you know, a late game additional draw or whatever if you need it. Um, you know, there's a single Engineered Explosives. Uh, there is a Triome in here, I believe. Yeah, there's a Raugren Triome in there. So you can get yeah. your EE on three. But again, you're not really recurring it. And so this is just a, a pretty big break from what we've been seeing, you know, for the past couple of months, uh, where if you're playing these sorts of cards, you're usually playing them with Emery as a way to recur them. Um, that yeah. said, there's a one of Chalice of the Void, which is like a sweet main deck bullet um, to whir for against Cascade decks. For sure, yeah. Um, for full clarity, I took this deck out for a spin and I went 1-4 with it. And I don't think it's a bad deck. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I think that it has a lot of the same problems that previous um, blue-black Wurza decks had where you have some very clunky draws. Um, sometimes your cards just don't line up. Sometimes you have to mull to five because a bunch of your opening hands have like double sword Urza and two lands. Um, and it's just... It's just... Dom is an incredible magic player. Um, he won one of the first two challenges with Modern Horizons cards in the format with uh, Hardened Scales, a deck that has since kind of uh, vanished off the face of Modern. Yep. So, I mean, it hasn't vanished. Like, it's still viable, but it's about as good as it was before. It's not, it's not doing very well in challenges at the moment. Um, so he is a very, very insightful player, very good player, um, and he's able to, in an open metagame, choose a deck that is quite powerful, reasonably positioned, and then pilot it to the level where he can top a challenge. Yeah, I I wonder... So my, my biggest issue with, I think, this list is that... Um, and I, I know that you're probably not going to like this take. It has no Witching Wells. And I only say that because... Uh, I mean... 
since the loss of Astrolabe, this deck has lost its velocity. And I think that that was one of the yeah. things that was propping it up for as long as it, it remained. Is that, yeah, you had a bunch of, you know, you could keep a seven uh, a, a seven card hand that had a, an Astrolabe or two. Because you knew you were going to eventually redraw into something good. And um, without some way of doing that, and, I, you know, Witching Well ends up being the closest approximation... Uh, I think that that's where you end up in these situations where like you either mull aggressively and you end up with some bad keeps sometimes, or you keep a handful of fluff and then, you know, hope that you jiggy wiggy top deck it. Uh, you just got to believe in the cards, I guess. But yeah, I, well, and to his credit, I mean, he, he mentioned that he hit the bobbles and the chromatic stars in the deck are sort of a concession to the land count the general potential clunkiness of it and the fact that it's now playing Urza's Saga. Uh, this was yeah. another deck which was playing Urza's Saga, playing Seachrome Coast, and playing Urza, where I felt like there was a very real tension in the mana base a lot of the time, and, oh, wow. it, and it just uh, didn't work out sometimes. Yeah, I did not um, see the four Seachrome Coast. That, that's, see, that's one of those things I just I, I could not do. Well, and again, like, it, there is, in it, like, mentally, I feel like a lot of people are able to, and I'm sure, may, may, maybe it is just, like, better players than I can always make it happen that they end up with, um, on turn four, they have a saga that's hitting turn three, or its third chapter. Uh, they just float the men off that, go fetch their artifact, play their land for the turn, which is a Seachrome Coast, which now comes into play untapped because the Saga sacrifice. So this is now their new third land, but they still have four mana to play Urza. And that also somehow their opponent doesn't have any counter magic. Okay. Okay. I, right. I and they didn't get Alpine Urza Moon. Saga interaction. That's actually a really good point. I've been yeah, trying so, to yeah, the f- incorporate the Sagas into my own Wurza lists. And I, I've decided I'm treating them as half of the land. I'm going to give them yeah. half of them. And and that that kind of seems to be the place that they're at and Dom was playing some talismans to um shore up his mana numbers because this is a Wurza deck. Um unlike the food decks, um you really like Urza is the star of the show in this deck, give or take. Um you can win a lot of games with Thopter Sort combo, but you're aiming to resolve one of your four Urzas. Like it's a it's a real power play for you and um it's definitely a place you kind of consistently want to be going. Um, so we'll, we'll see if this deck actually continues to uh, make any appearances. There are definitely some Urza, Urza aficionados out there who would like it too. Um, and I'm sure that they will be all over it trying to make that happen in the next little while. Uh, but segueing from there to today, um, we're, we're, we're going to talk about what happened uh, on the last couple of weeks um, and have a recap of the format since the beginning of uh, Modern Horizons 2. But today, um, uh, there was a challenge. Uh, I was playing in it. Uh, I was paying attention to a lot of the other streams that were going on. Um, food has made a big comeback today, um, which is interesting because it was sort of the week two uh, uh, sort of big contender of this format. Um, so since Modern Horizons 2 came out, we've had a weekly churn. Uh, week one was Big Cascade. Uh, was all the rage week two was all the food decks were tearing it up uh, week three was black red luris coming in and smashing up all the food decks uh, week four was uh, blue red murktide coming in and week five was hammer time 
Uh, and we're now in, I believe this is week six, and we hopped into the sort of Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. But as we mentioned, it doesn't have that many impactful cards. And we have found ourselves in a place where it looks like food is able to come back in some sense. Um, and there are other decks sort of bouncing around on the outside of that. But uh, the constant churn uh, of this meta on its highest level is, um, it's kind of nice, I, I have to say. Uh, it's a little frustrating from time to time when you're playing the cues and they become infested with these decks. Um, but it definitely d doesn't seem like any one deck or two decks in particular is staying on top as um, in the previous format, it felt like Amulet Titan and Blue Red Prowess were just sitting on top of everyone else and were pretty hard to disrupt from their throne. Yep. Yep. And in, and in this one, it seems like week, week to week, um, whatever deck was best the last week, you can guarantee it's not going to be quite as easy for them to sit on top like they did. Yeah, this just this speaks volumes to me about the the power level of Modern Horizons too. A lot of people were worried about it, and I think rightfully so after you know sort of the hogak of Modern Horizons one. And very early, we identified some incredibly powerful cards. And there were immediately calls for bans on Urza's Saga and Asmore and just, you know, people, I think, jumped the gun a little bit. And I think that this rotation, this week to week rotation is just showing, yes, there was an infusion of very high powered cards, but nothing is this standout can't be beat strategy and that makes me really happy because i i really like this infusion of powerful cards i've been thrilled with what modern horizons 2 has done so far and so you know when people start clamoring clamoring for bands uh as somebody who is like incredibly tolerant of nonsense you know i i'm usually like eh, let's give it a minute and wait and see uh, but in the back of my mind, I'm a little bit worried that I'm just doing that thing where I'm like, nah, it's fine. Somebody will figure out how to beat it. Like we can beat this, <laughs> you know, up until the day that Hogak was banned, I was still like, ah, maybe we can figure out a way to beat this. So, uh, yeah, this, this bodes well. And that makes me happy because, uh, I want to continue playing with all of these cards. Yeah, as bad as, let's say, Urza's Saga got at its peak, we never had Urza's Saga mirror matches with 4x Alpine Moon in the main deck, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Where, whereas GP, or sorry, uh, yeah, GP? No, um, Pro Tour? Pro uh, Tour Hogak. Yep. Um, or Mythic, Mythic Championship. Championship yeah. I think it was Mythic, Mythic Championship 3 was a modern Mythic Championship in which there were many copies of Hogak, some who were smart that were playing 4X main deck Leyline of the Void, which is just unbelievable to look back on. Um, so, you know, um, when people ask the question, what's the Hogak of Modern Horizons 2? And obviously they're being a little bit, you know. Uh, but there, there isn't one. There just isn't one. Um, and I heard it asked on a different podcast, um, you know, compared to Modern Horizons 1, how successful do you think Modern Horizons 2 has been at, quote, changing modern and it was funny because one of the people's response seemed to be like oh well obviously modern horizons one was better at, at changing modern i mean hogak changed modern in a big way it was just a complete train wreck and then Wurza, and then they had to ban astrolabe and i'm like yeah but those weren't successful changes of modern because <laughs> they were banned <laughs> yep right um whereas modern horizons 2 it feels like it's added to a lot of archetypes um 
without hitting a point of quote destroying the format and one of my one of my little notes here is that amulet titan seems to have vanished from the competitive field people are still playing at cues uh jose monitz uh, uh one of the many, many amulet experts in the world uh was out there in the challenge today and uh, unfortunately o2 dropped i did not see what the matchups were that he ran into but it does seem like in this current iteration of the sort of competitive modern format that amulets just getting beat out when two three weeks ago it was in contention for the best deck in the format now you may notice that when i was going through those weeks i didn't actually say oh that was amulet week and that's because in terms of numbers amulet was never that big uh, canister made a sick run on Amulet playing uh, four Xers of Saga, sometimes playing Through the Breach, sometimes playing Emrakul. And it's it it was up there at the top of the metagame, but um, currently just totally not. Um, so again, that, that churn on the, on the top of competitive modern is uh, very heavy, but there is some fallout. Uh, in the queues right now, it is brutal. Uh, efficiency is the name of the game and uh you can expect to run into some pretty cutthroat decks two to three out of your five matches in in your modern league or more um but there are forces that can push back on that we've seen uh in, in modern leagues there's been a few more maybe chalice of the void decks a few more blood moon decks than we had seen previously in a more flexible meta so uh, you know i think actually rather than trying to separate the segments this that might be a good segue into sort of the big topic for today which is just kind of reassessing the meta and taking a look at things that you know were previously maybe not unplayed but underplayed or were not well positioned and have sort of made a, a bit of a comeback and things that have faded away um and going off script here a little bit, but I, I kind of wonder, like, what happened? Why did Amulet go away? Um, you know, it's a deck that is capable of turn two, turn three kills. Uh, people were talking about Urza's Saga, you know, just being this huge add to it, and that if Urza's Saga got banned, it was going to be a result of Amulet. And so I, I'm kind of surprised to see that it just disappeared. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things like Heliod or Eldrazi Tron, where the um, factors are a little bit more difficult to nail down. Now, obviously, Amulet was riding high since Modern Horizons 2 and has disappeared, whereas the other two decks I mentioned, Heliod and, and Eldrazi Tron, have not managed to do that since the, result, the, to, since the release of, uh, of Modern Horizons. Uh, one of the things that's definitely hurting Amulet was the first week I noticed where Amulet took a big hit was when Blue-Red Murktide popped up on top and uh, Unholy Heat is an unsung hero, quote-unquote, or soon perhaps villain of Modern Horizons 2. A single red mana instant deal two damage to target creature or planeswalker. Uh, it has delirium, and if you have uh, four different card types in your graveyard, then it deals six damage, which is enough to kill a titan or basically any planeswalker that anyone ever resolves and even pluses. Uh, even Oko would be no match for Unholy Heat. Um, so we finally have the answer for Oko Thief of Crowns that we always needed. Perfect. Uh, the more important, yeah, the more important part about Unholy Heat is that it's become a bit of a um, very ubiquitous card. Um, and uh, I mean, I don't need to mention the card Dragon's Rage Channeler for anyone who's paying attention to modern right now. But Dragon's Rage Channeler um, 
I mean, it's not surprising to me that people like me and very learned uh, modern specialists didn't notice how impactful that card was going to be, didn't put together the fact that a red one drop was going to synergize with Mishra's Bobble incredibly well, um, with discard spells, with Thought Scour. Um, and I mean, some of the concerning things that people have brought up is both Black Red Luris and Blue Red Murktide uh, feature. 12 plus usually uh creatures in their in their suite of sort of uh i would never leave this at home cards that are all modern horizons 2 releases be that ragavan dragon's rage chandler and murktide or on the black red Luris side uh ragavan Dr dragon's rage chandler and uh, dothy voidwalker so <laughs> there's uh, yeah so i mean unholy heat has definitely been part of the the problem for um primetime as well as the the fact that blue red murktide has access to um sort of tempoing blue spells so um an increase in in uh spells that can very cleanly answer the the primetime the the, the prime primetime and the dry to the elysian groves that's um yep. yeah and and just like they're they're um uh you can they, they're playing red they can alpine moon your urza sagas then you're down a land the whole time uh the blue red murktide deck will play blood moon out of the sideboard usually two to three copies um and it does hurt them because they're playing blue blue for counterspell a lot of the time but not enough for them not to play it so makes sense um, makes sense i think I think Heliod got nailed out by Urza's Saga. Urza's Saga being able to get Pithing Needle at a reasonable pace, uh, as well as just the general speed of the format and the overall um, emphasis on the battlefield. Ragavan might actually be one of the worst things to happen to Heliod because Heliod now very rarely can resolve a turn one um, Arbor Elf for any acceleration or can resolve a Spike Feeder to go to infinite life. They, they need the Spike Feeder to live. Right. Um, and porting porting your opponent when your opponent has eight copies of uh, one mana interaction or more is just not good enough. Uh, Prismatic Ending gives a lot of decks a clean answer to Heliod where they didn't before. Yep. Um, so that that's definitely a problem there. Um, and then uh, I think there was another... Oh, Eldrazi Tron just seems to be generally outclassed, um, especially during when, when, when food was big. I've played a food deck against Eldrazi Tron, and if they don't have a chalice on both one and zero, uh, they're going to have a time. And as Morano, Mardikadice, and Akuldakar can blow up like a Thought Not Seer and a Reality Smasher without particularly trying hard. So um, while Karn the Great Creator can give that deck some problems, it just seems to be generally outclassed. That all makes a lot of sense, and I think that we're, we're seeing... Um... You know exactly what you said. So, for example, uh, Pithing Needle is the number five most played card right now, um, which is absolutely shocking to me. Uh, Pithing Needle is a card that is absolutely near and dear to my heart, and I, I don't know that I've built a deck without it for, I don't know, a, a very long time, maybe two years now, give or take. Uh, basically, since I realized it was a one-mana answer to all sorts of stuff and it, it was colorless, it just started ending up in all of my sideboards. You know, how do you start a sideboard? Eh, a pithing Needle or two. Um, I mean, you can't go too far wrong if you include Pithing Needle, right? That's... Like, you're not, you're never going to run into an entire tournament where you, go, where you never say the words, I would like to be boarding in this Pithing Needle. I, well, and I think that a big part of it was playing one main deck in Wurza for so long, 
I've learned just how many targets there always are. You know, its floor is basically naming a, a fetch land um, and hoping you get lucky, but its ceiling can be so high. And so with Urza's Saga able to fetch it, and not only just fetch it, but put it into play uh, through a Chalice on one or any of these things is is pretty big game. Um, so I, I see why it's it's so played, uh, and I'm glad to see it's it's got its time in the spotlight here. Um, you know, the, like you had mentioned, also that we've got uh, Underworld Cookbook, uh, Colossus Hammer, Urza Saga itself, Dothi Voidwalker. Like all of these are excellent ways to shut down their respective decks. That they're Mishra's Bobble. Yep. Yep. Yeah, Mistress Bobble with Luris is a, a big value engine for any of these uh, black red Luris decks. Um, and uh, one more deck that you had listed here, and you did mention uh, Emrakul Through the Breach, the blue red Through the Breach decks. Those were actually quite big um, before Modern Horizons 2 came out. Um, one of the big problems I think they're having is one, just general speed. Um, they're not able to keep up two mana counter magic. Um, three mana interaction sometimes in the form of Archmage's Charm or Prismari Command is just not efficient enough. And then on top of that, there's a whole bunch of decks that, that just are not, they're going to shrug off the Emrakul. The food deck thinks Emrakul is a joke. Yeah. Uh, sacrifice six permanents? Are you kidding me? Like, uh. No way. Um, the Hammer Time deck is just going to kill you before you get anywhere close to that. Um, Murktide is playing much more efficient threats. So, Blue-Red Murktide is really the evolution of um, both uh, Through the Breach and Blue Moon and um, just most of the decks that are in the Blue-Red archetype other than um, Prowess. And so now you have a division between Blue-Red Prowess and Blue-Red Murktide. Um, Blue-Red Murktide was really hot for one weekend. I'm sure some people said, okay, this is it. This is the definitive Blue-Red shell and Prowess can sit on the shelf. And my personal opinion is there will be meta games where Lavadart is much, 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 much better uh, than what you're doing. Um, we're just not there right now. Um, but we already have been, and we will be again. Um, uh, Ragavan, you know, as a 2-1, you know, it's, it's, it is one of the best cards in the set, just hands down. Um, I don't think it's ban-worthy, but I do think it's going to be obnoxious for, you know, <laughs> a long time <laughs> coming future. <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be one of those cards that's just going to sit in the format forever and just be you know just shy of being banned or maybe maybe it eventually hits it like mox opal did where it's like you know it gets banned tangentially to something else where it's like okay well ragavan didn't need to be banned now but we kind of always knew it was a problem and now we solved it i guess um it watches mox opal dies for ragavan sins or uh yeah mox exactly Amber, mox exactly yeah yeah that will be the day um yeah, so all of this, you know, we've named a, a boatload of cards here uh, that are in the, like, one and two mana value spectrum. Um, yeah. You made the comment that uh, efficiency is the name of the game, and it, it definitely seems like that is the truth of it. So what should we be packing to fight this? Like, we talked about the Pithing Needles being highly effective, and we're, we're seeing that play. But, you know, what else should we be packing in our sideboards or our, our main boards? And, and how, do we, uh, how do we slow the format down? 
Yeah, well, I, I, so I'm not inundated enough with these decks, but uh, it is very rare that any of these top-tier decks you see right now uh, that won't at least consider one or two Chalice of the Void in the sideboard. Um, Chalice of the Void is good hate against your opponent's Mishra's Bobbles, um, which not normally something that you would bring it in uh, alone for. Um, but even in these blue-red Murktide decks, like, I don't know that they need the help against Cascade. They have access to blue. So uh, my assumption, and I've seen it happen a little bit, is that sometimes they're bringing it in to put it on one with the assumption being that they can do better with their one-drops shut off than the opponent can. Um, I don't know how well that pans out, but Chalice of the Void has certainly seen a serious uptick in the amount of play it's receiving um, with the format pulling down towards the the one and two cmc spot a lot of zeros floating around um, and i have some better comments later on on uh on some decks that i want to talk about um about chalice of the void so chalice of the void definitely something that's on my radar i um, want to tinfoil tinfoil hat putting on the tinfoil hat here for a moment do we think that the ban of uh simeon spirit guide was in preparation for the uh, the the hyper efficiency of the postmodern Horizons two format. Did Wizards know that we needed Monkey more than ever for that turn one Chalice on one? Oh man, that's a really hard call because if if you're suggesting that that's the case, um then that was the same ban announcement as Uro Mystic Sanctuary, Field of the Dead, and there was one more, right? Um, there was five bans plus the Cascade Rule Chain. Oh, Tybalt's Trickery. Yeah. Obviously. Tybalt's Trickery is banned just for being a jerk, basically. <laughs> um, but no, but it was. It was like we were two weeks into the format. We were banning out and changing out stuff for being jerks, and I think they just wanted to get Tybalt's Trickery out of there. Um in which case, can we just ban Neoform, or can we leave the Neoform pilots alone and just brand, ban Gristlebrand in a modern? Like, I know it's too late for Legacy, but Gristlebrand's not doing anything in modern right now, and the only thing it could be doing is gross and unfair, so maybe just axe it. Um, but anyway, that's a different conversation. The point is, um, I, I don't know, because I feel like they would have left an Uro, right? I mean, maybe, but like, as we talked about at the time, the problem with Uro was Uro was ubiquitous across formats. Mm -hmm. um, they left it in Legacy because I think they care a lot less about Legacy than potentially any other format other than Vintage um, because the number of players is lower, because whatever. Um, but Modern is actually, in terms of Magic Online, I think if Modern ever died, Magic Online would die. I, I believe that. Yeah. I have very little... I have very little faith that the amount of money that uh, Wizards pulls in from Legacy and Vintage and Pioneer and l may maybe Limited. Maybe Limited is a significant ad. I'm not sure. I think there but, are a lot of cube players, um, but I don't know that there's yeah, as but, many but, cube players as modern players. Yeah, I mean, modern is by far the most popular format on Magic Online, and it's not close um, by at least three times as much i think i think legacy is the next biggest one and i think modern is at least three times as popular um so i i don't even know if they would keep magic online around without modern and so it's a big deal for them um that modern stay popular and so uh if uro was being hated out in standard in historic in pioneer uh it was a safe bet they should probably just take it out of modern at, at a reasonable pace um so that was probably the the downfall of Uro, because honestly, look at this modern metagame and try to tell me that Uro would be a problem. 
Like, yep. There's just no way. There's no fucking way. Like, I, not to be blunt about it, but like, there's just no way. Well, and it may actually be a boon if you're able to, you know, gain yeah. a little bit of life, ramp a little bit. It brings back some power to the the rampy decks and the the big mana decks. Maybe I mean, not that Uro is a big mana deck enabler per se, but you end up with a lot of lands. No, on the but field. it like it, yeah, it enables like a, a style of like mid rangey controly deck that is a little maligned right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some comments later on that basically the decks that are surviving, that are some form of mid range or control are usually playing eight to like 16 removal spells or planeswalkers that can remove things. That's um, insane. That's absolutely insane. Well, it, you know, and it's funny that you say that though, because so I, I don't actually know exactly how long you've been playing modern at what level. Um, I came back to modern. Um, I want to say it was like January, February in 2017. That sounds right to me. Um, it was when Jerry T went for second place to the pro tour with Mardu Pyromancer because the first deck that I built in modern was Mardu Pyromancer. And I think what we're dealing with right now in modern feels a lot like that modern felt. Um, there was a lot of decks where like turn one or two, if you weren't playing to the board or aggressively dealing with the board, uh, you were in big trouble. Uh, it, it, I mean, there, there were some more ponderous blue white control decks floating around. Um, I know ad nauseum was there because the first, uh, SCG IQ I played, I, I played against ad nauseum in top eight. Um, but like Mardu Pyromancer's strength on the format was like the fact that it was playing like 10 discard spells and lightning bolts and cheap threats that could play to the board and like lingering souls to chump block some death shadows so that was like a meta call and they could harass planeswalkers out of the more ponderous blue white decks so uh, it's weird because it feels like somehow we've stripped down to the efficiency of of that format again um because there were mox opals in that format but you, there were faithless suitings in that format like, you gotta remember the power yeah. level was like very high and we've lost some of those cards since then um that's oh. it's so it's funny because uh, I, I actually think that I started around the same time. I just wasn't quite self-aware yet, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah. But I, I do remember No, no, I get it. I mean, I, uh, I just had a lot more experience in the sort of larger, sort of higher tier of com- uh, like, like competitiveness where I was thinking about the, the impact on the format and how that shapes the cards and decks that can exist in it. Yeah, right? I was just dipping my toes in. You know, I was still pretty heavily mm-hmm. invested in Standard at that point, but uh, I do remember uh, beating somebody on my, like, blue-red wizard burn list that I put together, uh, and they were on Mardu Pyromancer, and... Um, he had just put it together after the the Jerry T run and, and was super hyped yep. about it and uh, right yeah oh, good times so so it, yeah it's a return back to this this uh, you know hyper efficient state and and uh, I guess you know it just means that we have that infusion of power like we talked about um, well and it's like again it, 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 it the constant churn at the highest level. And the, you know, wideness of the, the, the cues are, you know, uh, it, 
It may be that paper play is returning, that the cues suddenly feel a lot more cutthroat, because it is possible that some people who would be playing Magic Online, trying out their fun decks, playing their fairies deck, playing their whatever nonsense modern deck that they love, uh, they might be getting their fix uh, at in-store play more than they were um, sinking their money into getting that fix on Magic Online. That makes so sense. that might be a consequence of uh, paper play opening back up and that just means that if you are looking for a more casual environment to play your modern ideas um and you're in a place where it's safe to do so go find some paper play because that that's where you can do that uh the modern online queues almost just guarantee themselves to be a meat grinder at this point um, so if you're not ready to suit yourself up for uh, in, in full plate <laughs> armor and have that plus six AC uh, with the uh, minus 25% uh, uh, mobility bonus, then uh, then the modern cues may not be the place for you. Yeah, that's, uh, that definitely rings true. Uh, I have now been to one modern event and one legacy event at my local game store. And um, modern was hilarious because, you know, I'm... I, been in these queues for the past what year and a half two years now and Mm -hmm. i am prepared for that uh and i sit down and i think there were four tron players there was somebody on mono green stompy featuring steel leaf champion and galta like oh yeah just nonsense one guy i'm pretty sure had to switch decks because he didn't actually know that simian spirit guide was banned that doesn't surprise me at all um (laughs) And I, I'm very much looking forward to my first uh, comp REL paper event Ugh. when that comes back to my area. Just, just, just to see it, just to be there. I just want to be there to be there. Yeah. I don't even care if I end up judging, right? I mean, I'd happen to, to be one of the judges for one of those events um, if we've lost some judge staff since then. I just want to be there. I would honestly be happy to be a spectator just to experience what the split of players is. Because I know some, some locals who probably stay tuned in who probably tune things back up and then there are people that i remember that they're just going to show up with whatever they show up with um and i just want to see it happen yeah well get out there everybody if you're if your game store is (laughs) opening up and you're feeling up to it uh get out there it's it's a good time uh you know take all your precautions get your vaccines but um do it while you can do it while you can yeah yeah, well, because we may have uh, more shutdowns of various varieties uh, in our near future. We don't have the good doctor on with us, but uh, get your damn vaccinations and still wear a mask wherever you're supposed to, people. Yep. Um, but that said, maybe we can get back to a little bit of brewing. What do you think, Brian? Yeah. So, uh, you know, after spending a lot of time thinking about how the meta has changed and what all of this means... Uh, and just looking at new cards and what's available, I thought that I would like to head back to the Mystic Forge and uh, play some Metalwork Colossi. Um, unfortunately, some things came up, uh, and I didn't get a chance to test any of these theories, but I do have some ideas that uh, I would like to bounce off of you. Um, 
Bring it on, baby. So so the Silver Gek deck seems simultaneously worse off and better off with uh, the way that things are shaping up. There's a ton of artifact hate being played, which is something we, we failed to mention in the, the previous uh, segment there. Um, but there is a lot of Shattering Spree. There is a lot of Shatter Storm. Um, I have seen uh, a bunch of Force of Vigors out there. Uh, you know, both hitting Urza's Sagas and the aforementioned Pithing Needles and um, Tormod's Crypts and, and other hate pieces that come with the Urza's Saga. Um, and so that means that if you're playing an artifact-centric deck like the Silver Gak deck, uh, your Mystic Forges, your Semblance Anvils, and other high-impact cards are probably going to get shattered at some point. Um, but the flip side is uh, Portable Hole and Brainstone both seem really great for the deck. Uh, Brainstone allows you to manipulate the top of the deck. You can um, you know, put artifacts from your hand back on top uh, and keep lands in your hand so that you can keep on chugging with Mystic Forge. And Portable Hole solves a pretty big problem that the deck has, uh, which is basically no interactions, uh, no interactive pieces in the in the first few turns. Um, so, you know, for anybody who listened to that episode, uh, or I, I guess to back up a step, uh, this Silvergak deck that we are referring to is um, a combo deck that is largely artifacts. Uh, it's playing things like uh, Metalwork, Colossus, Mystic Forge, Semblance, Anvil, and Grinding Station, uh, along with Scrap Trawler. Um, I'm not going to get into the specifics, but those cards uh, form a combo where you can basically grind somebody out. You can mill them out with Grinding Station by using the Scrap Trawler to bring stuff back and continuing to feed it to the grinding station and that was episode 14 of the serum visions podcast combos in the mist grinding the ancient silver gack wow Just, it's been uh, that long if you're that's like almost it has been that long i know it's wow. it's crazy to imagine nuts um, okay and it and and we no no and 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 to its effort the 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 version that i finally took into the queues and had some confidence in was rocking 4x main deck chalice of the void yep and I do believe that's probably a good place to be right now um, because, uh, spoiler alert, that um, Susurus, the were prison master, uh, has returned to modern basically for the first time since the banning of Mox Opal with a, a ingenious machine that I have linked in the show notes here that we've referred to on my uh, YouTube channel or on my Twitch channel and YouTube channel as Nightmare Steel Cage, which is a reference apparently to a Yu-Gi-Oh episode. Um, but uh, it is an incredible machine. So maybe a more combo-centric version is uh, possible. Yeah. Uh, that I was actually gonna to to bring that up as part of my questions. Um, oh, as no, we get a little bit sorry, later. I, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's all good. I was gonna say. I mean, uh, so the portable hole being an early game interactive piece solves uh, or doesn't solve, but definitely lends a hand in fixing the aggro matchup. And that that is really what was keeping that deck down. I think like I was running into prowess and that would just trash all over you. Meanwhile, you know, control and mid range just could not keep up with it. It, it was recursive. It could just keep going in, in the face of hate. Um, so yeah, I think that those two cards, uh, definitely give it a leg up. And then also on the fringes there, uh, modern horizons two gave us a bunch of new living weapons 
um, that are somewhat reasonable and lower on the curve. So Nettlesyst is by far the best among those. Uh, it is at three mana value, um, but there is also a two drop in Batterbone, um, and I'm not sure that they would be great additions to the deck. Uh, I had tried using the Flare Husk, which is a one mana value living weapon, just as a way to create blockers while also reducing the cost of the Metalwork Colossus. Um, and so there might be some play there. Uh, anyway, the, sh the, the long story short is that there are a bunch of new tools, uh, including Urza's Saga as well. And um, so I think that the deck may be better off than it was. Now the question is, is it good enough for this uh, hyper-efficient, fast metagame? Um, so that brings me to uh, a place where we uh, the, the early iterations of this deck had Chromatic Spheres, uh, Chromatic Stars to try and do the top deck manipulation. So I figured that cutting the Spheres out entirely, it's a pretty quick and easy swap uh, for the Brainstones. Um, and then uh, just kind of cutting bits and pieces to, to make space for four portable holes. Um, so that leaves me with a question do i still want Tr tron lands uh portable hole is a single white mana and if you're running tron lands you're not looking to have a white mana on turn one you may have a white mana on turn two but you know typical opening sequence if somehow always tends to be turn one expedition map turn two you're cracking the map so that you have your turn three tron that means that you have no interaction for the first three turns um doesn't seem like exactly where we want to be, right? Like portable hole isn't actually doing anything for you unless you're casting it. So I have gone off the deep end and uh, <laughs> found what I think is maybe the, the closest approximation to a ramp plan in white, uh, which involves brought back uh, as well as Lotus Field and Flagstones of Trocare. So yeah. You got high hopes, buddy, and I, I love that. <laughs> I love that you got high hopes. Um, I mean, I looked at your deck, and I mean, I haven't played it yet. You haven't played it yet. So, I mean, maybe there's more to this than I think there is. Um, it's, oh, man, that's that's it, it's a big ask. Um, so, I mean, to tie this into having played Susurus's, um prison deck and a lot of other stuff recently. Um, I feel like the right direction for Silvergak to go is is just to play the mono brown deck with with the chalices. Um, I I just I just think that brought back and portable hole is gonna get a little bit too cute here. Um, Mirror Retriever, Metalwork Colossus, Scrap Trawler, Grinding uh, Grinding Station. All of these are reasonable additions to what I see as the core of this deck, and I think that Urza Saga adds a lot to it. Um, I'm not convinced on Brainstone and running it on one when you when when you're going to become a Chalice of the Void deck. In my sure. opinion, is just yeah is just asking for trouble. Um, but I mean, uh, go ahead and run it. Go ahead and, and attempt to get me to run it. Um, feel free to attempt to use your, you know, uh, actual in-person human connection to me to try to get me to play this. Because uh, Flagstones is a, a powerful card. Uh, Lo Lotus Field, of course, becomes the big selling point of this deck. I guess. Yes. Um, so I, but 
I, uh, without Blood Sun and any way to have it come into play untapped or anything like that, I, I don't know. That was it's... a consideration as well. If we're gonna be not running Tronlands, I think it's totally reasonable to go into a second color. And so maybe right. you, you go into red. Um, that also shuts off opposing Urza's sagas, right? Uh, and it shuts off your own Urza's Well, sagas. and yours. Yeah. So maybe yeah. you cut the Urza's saga, but uh, that gives you a pretty reasonable ramp plan. I did goldfish this uh, 10 times just to kind of see if the, the ramp plan would even come up. Um, I had a Lotus Field start in three of them, and two of those I had a Flagstones out and a brought back in hand. So I was effectively able to get to six mana on uh, turn three, which is pretty good. That's, that's a great start for well this deck. But six six ish though because the lotus field is tapped right. Uh no so the start is you know planes uh on turn one on turn two yeah. you play your um flagstones of trocare you yeah. Uh turn three you play your lotus field oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah you're right you're right it's uh so like you, you actually yeah. have access to like seven or eight mana on turn four right. So you're still yeah, slower and, than the Tron starts. And it's not that you not that you necessarily have to be as fast as Tron. Like that's not a requirement. But uh, if you're not doing anything particularly powerful in the meantime or particularly interactive, I just don't have a lot of hope for this. So again, like I love the grinding and interesting or uh, you know, brewing and interesting space ideas. Um, and the core of Silvergack definitely has something going on with it um there might be a blue version with urza that is not playing portable hole i just i just somehow feel like portable hole isn't the card that's gonna bring this archetype um back in and as clever as brought black back is here it's it's just not gonna do it i mean we saw brought back decks that were gonna use that with things like avalanche riders and those were pretty flash in the pan. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, in the hands of an exceptional pilot played deftly, um, they they did only pretty okay. Yeah, right? I, I'm not so. I'm not married to the brought back, certainly. Uh, I don't know. I'm yeah. I'm I, I am certain I'm definitely gonna test a version with portable hole. Uh, I think that it's reasonable to stick with the Tron lands and you know mm -hmm. forego the brought back stuff, get rid of the the prismatic or, uh, the lotus fields and whatnot, and instead uh, aim to play like eight talismans or something. Basically, just up your ability to make turn two white mana. So instead of leaning super hard into the expedition map plan, you play the chromatics, you play play a bunch of talismans, and so maybe you're uh, you're gonna get the natural Tron. You kind of take the um, the Etron approach, right? Where Tron is not the point; it's just a nice thing you get. Uh, unlike Green Tron, where you're like really, really trying to get Tron online as fast as possible, and, and maybe that'll that'll pan out. Um, you know, I think just stopping a prowess creature, uh, DRC or whatever for a turn is usually enough because when this goes off, it tends to go off. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, you you can usually get that same same turn kill, um, or at worst, you have to you know pass turn and and then you finish them off the next turn. Um, I could see. Yeah, I mean, I again, I, I mentioned that like 
Mystic Forge, Scrap Trawler, Mirror Retriever, Metalwork Colossus, um, Walking Ballista, Semblance Anvil, and then maybe, again, one of the cards that I had in there before, Ugin, um, the Ineffable. Yeah. As a different way to reduce costs on your colorless cards. I think that is a good core, because if we can segue to it now, which I didn't intend to do, but if we can segue to talking about the construction of Susurus's, um prison deck. Yeah, let's do it. Um which is called, we've called it Nightmare Steel Cage, and I have the link here, which is going to be in the in the show notes. Um, it's a little bit lower, but we, maybe we move that up. Um, here, I'm just going to move it up um, for us so we can continue it in the same discussion. Um, so this one is, it, it does not have any kind of combo potential. Um, it is, it, I mean, it has a mid-range plan in that it's playing four of Urza's Saga and a Shadow Spear, basically. Um, and it's 4x Chalice of the Void, 4x Expedition Map, 3 Maze Mind Tome, 4 uh, Mind Stone. And then the rest of it is like bridges, um, and then again, the Mystic Forge. And the idea is to stop your opponent from killing you, and then using Mystic Forge to tear through enough of your deck to get a Karn into play with enough mana off your Tron pieces that you can get into your sideboard. And I honestly didn't expect this, and part of the reason my first league with this deck was a 1-4 was due to two timeouts. And the reason I timed out is I couldn't really figure out how to win. There was one match where I literally lost the last game because my opponent didn't concede, and I was like, well, eventually I'm going to have enough resources to go get a walking ballista out of my sideboard, which is not there. Oh, um, no. Oh, no. But what is there is one of Jiggy Wiggy's favorite cards, Possessed Portal. Oh, yeah. So... For a recap of those who don't remember this fifth dawn gem, it's an eight mana artifact, and it says if a player would draw a card, that player skips that draw instead. Um, and I think one of the important things to remember about that particular clause is that there are a lot of situations you get into a deck, get into with a deck like this, where you're sitting there going, well, what card do I get to cut off the most ways for them to win the game when they draw their card next turn? And not letting them draw the card is the safest, cleanest answer. It also has a clause that says, at the end of each turn, each player sacrifices a permanent and unless he or she discards a card from his or her hand. Um, this is very unintuitive. This means at the end of your turn, each player sacrifices a permanent or discards a card. And then at the end of their turn, each player discards a card or sacrifices a permanent. So you need to be generating two permanents per turn cycle for this to have, quote, like no effect on you. However, between Mystic Forge, Karn, and Crucible of Worlds, which exists as a one-up mm -hmm. in the main deck, um, you are quite able to at least buffer that by one permanent per turn cycle. Um, although it's fairly possible for you to have a lot more permanents in play than your opponent because of Mystic Forge. And you can still play cards off the top of your deck because you have a Mystic Forge, hopefully. Um, and that every turn you can either exile the top card if it's not something you can cast, or you can just keep casting through the top of your deck, even if you have to cast it into your Chalice. Um, and then eventually what you do is you just wait until your opponent sacrificed everything, and then you sacrifice the incinerating bridge that you probably had in play that stopped them from attacking, and then you use your Karn to animate this possessed portal and beat them to death with an 8-8. I love it. Um, I love it. 
This is yeah, amazing. Yeah, it sounds crazy, and I, I, I did it. And, and, and the second league I played with this deck, we went 3-2, and the two decks we lost to were Black Red Luris, which had, like, three Coligans Command in the main deck as a Shatter, um, and a uh, Jeskai deck that was playing main deck Lavinia, Azorius Renegade, which you know, counters anything that's paid without a mana cost and messes with you otherwise. And they had Duragar Hedge Mage, and they had Skyclave Apparitions, and it's just like, it was just a pile of hate, right? So, yeah. like, you really couldn't, like, that's not something you're going to be well prepared to beat. But if you're looking for something, like, very kooky, kind of off-meta, um, this is a great way to try to attack this format using, like, Karn and Chalice and... I mean... And, um... Looking... Artifact cards. So... If you were to tweak out the core of this deck, yep. So instead of it um, being quite as prisony as it is, you could put in your combo engine. Mm -hmm. I think we might be able to find some success with it. So uh, I'm gonna definitely try this later this week. The the new silver gag. I I like um, it. I mean, Karn has always felt like a a good include in silver gag, or at least a safe include. You know, it plays well with everything else that's going on. Uh, it means you can right. offload some of the combo pieces to the sideboard and reliably find them if you get Karn out. And just looking at this list here, you know, four Serum Powder, two Ratchet Bomb, four Mind Stone, three Maze Mind Tome. Uh, I think that, well, maybe with the exception of the Mind Stone, um, you could just immediately cut that stuff. I, I don't know. I, I mean, you played it. Was Serum Powder that impactful? Did you find it was an important card? You know, the very funny thing to me, I boarded it out every single match basically and i always boarded it out for the same cards i i was i was always boarding it out for um three um uh three spell skites and one welding jar okay because what that left me with in the sideboard was one spell skite and one welding jar which were often cards you wanted to grab to insulate your board so sometimes mm -hmm. you'd be in this position where like okay i already have a bridge because there's three three bridges in the main deck and one in the sideboard to wish for i already have a bridge i want to play car in this turn i want to keep the cards in my hand low what do i get and it's like oh get the welding jar because it protects your bridge but it costs zero mana uh or get the spell skite it protects your bridge but it only costs two um and protects your bridge from certain things that welding jar can't protect from so yeah. Um, the other anyway, thing uh, yeah. that just occurred to me is that with Urza's saga making giant constructs, um, maybe right. now is the time to think about moving back to the the origins of the Silver Gak, which was Altar of Dementia. So, mm. uh, you know, if you're able to um, sacrifice a couple of uh, your Metalwork Colossi, uh, to an altar of dementia, you're going to get a ton of mill from that. Now, the nice thing about the grinding station is that you can mill yourself to find the pieces that you're you need before you start mm. turning it on the opponent. Um, the altar of dementia can also do that. It's just not quite as good at it, right? Like you end up with a bunch of big mills instead of a, a lot of little mills. So, you know, grinding station helps you uh, clear the top of your deck. If you're churning through with mystic forge and you hit a land or something that you otherwise can't cast, um, and, and so maybe grinding station is just the correct choice, but I could imagine you get to a board state with, you know, three or four giant constructs and you could just end the game on the spot with the altered dementia. You know, if, if both people have been drawing a bunch of cards and playing stuff, then maybe you have 30 or 40 cards left in the deck and you just end it right there. 
Yeah, no, and, and that's part of the reason I'm interested in uh, investigating this because uh, we may be able to develop it into something, you know, that, that rivals Susurus's construction um, with the caveat that we aren't as committed to having as, um, what do I want to say, like as svelte as a wind condition as he does. Yeah. Um, Karn is like a very, very good... Well, th- what I mean by that is like if you look at the old Were Prison decks... Um, their win condition was like one Academy Ruins in your mana base and one Pyrite Spell Bomb, or one uh, uh, Crucible of Worlds and one Ipnu Rivulet in your oh yeah uh, yeah. So they would just fully lock out the opponent, and then just just say like, all right, I'm just gonna kill you over ten turns, give or take, and you're not gonna be able to do anything about it. Um, and while it is um, definitely a viable strategy to build a deck that way, it is, you know, maybe easier for most people to have a slightly more aggressive win condition. Um, but it, it, this one is still fl- fairly flexible because, you know, Grinding Station does good work for this deck. Grinding yourself, picking up the um, Metalwork Colossus, is flipping those into play. But still having the potential of, you know, uh, put a Metalwork Colossus into play, alter of Davinci your opponent for 11, and then do that a couple of times, you know, that, that might be something that you can sustainably do with a, you know, quote, limited board state. Yeah, yeah. I Well, and uh, these decks are just incredibly good at barfing out, you know, 15, 20 artifacts. I, you know, yeah. I, I just... Uh, played something adjacent to this i was just messing around with urza saga and wanted to see what i could do and i think i had like a 22 22 construct with very little effort um and that wasn't even a deck that i had really put much thought into it was just like i said i was just looking to barf out artifacts so uh i think with some some thought you could really get you know a couple big constructs you have that crucible to keep replaying the urza saga you know you make three four constructs and that might just be enough just end it yes yeah it might be exactly so um uh i'm gonna include my original silver gak list that i went into um a queue with um, the most interesting note of which is that it's currently playing zero Karn. And of course, uh, Urza Saga had not yet been printed at the time. Um, so it's playing some Wastes, which could easily become the Sagas. Um, and one Cavern of Souls, one Buried Ruin, and one Blast Zone. Um, but this deck will definitely be where I start when I look to tinker with uh, Silver Gak and sort of bring it into the modern era. Um Things like Icker Wellspring may stay, may not stay. Things like Cloud Key may stay, may not stay. Um, Cloud Key may just not be efficient enough. Yeah. Um, in the in the current iteration, but it, I mean, it's just one of those things of like, maybe Cloud Key just gets outclassed by everything else being better, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? No, I um, ended up cutting it from my more recent iterations as well. I actually had one right. for a little bit. Uh, which wouldn't work with the Karns or the Ugans, but I had one that was all artifacts. Uh, it was uh, mono black. Well, it was Tron with um, black for uh, uh, Wishclaw. Wishclaw. Yeah. And so I yeah. was able to play yeah. Umoria as the companion, which is basically a cloud key. 
Yeah. You, uh, I saw you, uh, well, I, I know that deck existed because I think that was the version you were at when you, um, posted it towards, uh, Faithless Brewing and they were flabbergasted uh, yes. Yes. by <laughs> the construction of it. Um, so it, uh, it, it definitely is a deck that, um, it definitely takes, is a it, deck. like this, like the Susurus prison <laughs> deck, um, the reason I ended up playing that on my stream was because someone basically sent the list in my general direction and was like, what, what is this? Like, I think maybe, maybe you're one of the people who knows how to wrap your head around this and, you know, figure it out. And it took me an entire league to figure out, oh, the primary win condition is play Karn, get a bridge up, get a possessed portal, and then win the game. Like, and... To its credit, I think maybe one of the matches I timed out, maybe one of the matches I ended up winning. I don't remember which league it was in, but I played against a, um, a Yogmoth combo deck, and they had me locked down under a Collector Oof, but I was able to get to the point where I uh, built up my board. Uh, uh, spoiler alert, and I think there's a video of this somewhere, but I'm not sure, but I think they nailed me with a... Um, what is it called? Break the Ice Overloaded, which destroyed... Oof. It was like eight Oof. of my lands. Yeah. Um, but we had the Crucible of Worlds, and and we just ended up rebuilding, and we got Tron back, and we just came back into that game, got the Possessed Portal down, wow. and uh, the Collector Oof wasn't able to beat us because uh, they never were able to get through the bridge. We had a Torpor Orb off the Karn, so they, they couldn't use any of their enter the battlefield triggers to kill our stuff, and uh, I think that was one where I ended up losing to time, but we were deterministically going to win it. We were in the, the sequence where uh, neither player had any cards in hand, I had a bridge in, I had a Karn in, and I had the Possessed Portal, I had the Crucible of Worlds that was playing a land out of my graveyard, and because I had mismanaged my clock up to that point, they ended up winning on a timeout, which is totally fine, but it's just one of those things where, you know, these decks are very difficult to pilot out of the gate. Um, oh, yeah. So even with some experience, you're, you're going to have some stumbles. Um, so def definitely a good time to be had with uh, Seuss Roos's, uh Nightmare Steel Cage. I love it. Um, and I I do wonder if the combo-centric version of Silvergak might be uh, either, I'm not going to say better, but like maybe more suited to certain metagames. Maybe this one, maybe the next one. Yeah. Well, and so we got to give that an investigation. I, so, so speaking of metagames and, and, uh, you know, we just talked about a, a prison deck. Uh, it looks here like you have, uh, tested some other prison strategies. And before we get into those, do we think that is now a good time for prison because chalice is well positioned or, I mean, blood moon is also well positioned, right? Like we got, alpine moons we got blood moons running around uh chalice and pithing needle that that sounds like the start of a great prison deck to me yeah uh, i think it was during the last episode i made mention of my um assault loam deck the red green lands deck that i enjoyed playing many moons ago um and that was a deck that had 4x main deck blood moons 4x main deck chalice and 4x main deck karn um and those all seem to be cards that on some axis are very good against the current format. Karn probably less than the other two. I think Chalice and Blood Moon are considerably more well positioned than Karn, but Karn has the upside that Karn can actually win games. 
uh, the other two cards do not enable you to win games. So uh, Karn is a quality card against Hammer Time. It's not going to win you a game on its own, but it's definitely something that is good. Uh, it's a good card against Black Red Luris uh, or any of those other Luris grinding decks because they always play Mistress Bobble to to want to um, draw cards with. In addition, like a lot of the Dragon's Rage Chandler decks are playing uh, Mistress Bobble. So if you're playing Chalice against the Dragon's Rage Chandler deck, playing Karn against the same deck is going to give you the advantage of blanking their baubles. And much like taxes, um, these prisoning effects where you're locking away pieces of your opponent's deck, the more you put in a single deck, the more likely you are to um, get lucky and their next draw step will be turned off. And then their next draw step will be turned off. And it's like they drew a Mistress Bobble they can't activate. And then they draw an Urza Saga that's going to die as soon as it comes into play. Um, these high synergy decks, you know, they'll, they'll have a lot of overlap on particular axes, axes that get hated out. And so Chalice, Blood Moon, and Karn sort of come together in this um, pretty good package um, that's obviously centered around red because of the Blood Moon, though it doesn't have to be. So um, there's a number of decks floating around right now that are making uh, use of some or all of this. Uh, one that I saw a bunch... Uh, last night on someone else's stream was there's a Sahili combo deck uh, with liquid metal torque and liquid metal coating. Um, you, you so with those attention. cards, you yeah right right right. So with these cards, you turn Sahili into an artifact. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, and then you can use Sahili's down tick to copy Sahili. We're talking about Sahili so Rai-ception. Yeah, yeah, the original Sahili Rai got it, got it. causing Sahili Seption. Yeah, not not Sahili Sublime Artificer, the one for which you came up with the or popularized an innovation with um, Surge Node. No, we're talking about the original cat combo girl, Sahili Rai. Um, so with Sahili Rai, what you can do is if you turn Sahili into an artifact, you can have Sahili copy itself, and the copy will be an artifact. So what happens is you you have a legend rule situation come up. You choose on state-based. And you keep the copy. Now, the copy is going to expire at end of turn. But the copy comes in with a full three loyalty, which you can use to copy itself. And then you can use it to copy itself. So with Altar of the Brood, you have an instant uh, mill out your opponent. Uh. So Liquid Metal Coating, Sahili, and Altar of the Brood is a kill. And then Liquid Metal Coating and, and Liquid Metal Torque also pair up nicely with Karn. Um because you can use it to destroy your opponent's lands um, or animate your opponent's other things and then destroy those with either artifact or, or, or damage uh, based removal. And so there is a deck floating around right now that is a blue-red core deck with Sahili, Rai, Karn, Liquid Metal Coating, Liquid Metal Torque that has a combo kill with it with Altar of the Brood, but also is playing things like a Braid or Ancient Grudge or um, Thieving Sky Diver. Um, so you can steal your opponent's lands. So you have a sort of value mid-range axis with a combo kill. Um, so that's floating around right now. Um, but, uh, and, and those decks, because they're playing red-blue as a core, are usually playing Blood Moon because it's a reasonable choice against the metagame. Sometimes they're playing Saga with their Blood Moons. This is, this is the Saga Blood Moon deck. There are not many of them um, that are possible, but this is the Saga Blood Moon deck that's fl floating around. Um... But generally speaking, again, Chalice, Blood Moon, Karn. These are these are viable cards. So my question as a Brewer's question to myself was, if these cards are good in the meta, what's the best way to play some or all of them? 
Um, so I had a, a viewer submission for a little while, for the last week or so, which was a Mardu deck with uh, General Ferris Rockrick as one of the core cards, which is a one white and a red, so three mana value for a 3-1 with protection from monocolored. And he says, whenever you cast a multicolored spell, create a 4-4 white and red golem. Uh, note, the golems are white and red, uh, unlike how they appear on Magic Online, where they pretty much look like they're colorless, but they're not. They're white and red, um, which mattered when my opponent had to give her runes and they killed me. Uh, but more to the point, the general uh, generates good value off your gold spells. Um, and in a white-red X shell, you probably want to play some number of lightning helix. In this case, we were playing Nahiri. Uh, we were playing some uh, thrilling discovery. So the list that um, they had me play, I think most recently, is the one I linked in the show notes. Um, it, it, it's pretty good. Um uh, Vindicate is a reasonable choice against the metagame. Uh, ditto Kaya's Guile. Um, ditto Kaya, Orzhov Usurper. I love um, that Kaya. So, that is such yeah, a cool card. She's really good right now. I mean, she, like exiling uh, permanence with mana value one or less is good. It, um, and um, Prismatic Ending is probably the best one-drop removal you can pair with Chalice of the Void right now. Um, we've seen a bunch of control oh, yeah. shells. I mentioned them earlier. Con there are control shells that are playing Chalice of the Void 4X in the main deck, and almost all of them are blue-white decks. Now, they could be blue-white X, they could be Esper, they could be Jeskai, but they're always blue-white decks so they can play Counter Magic and Prismatic Ending because then you can play turn one Prismatic Ending, turn two Chalice, and then you could play turn three Prismatic Ending. Yeah. If your opponent plays a three-drop or, or a two-drop, or one drop, you can play Prismatic Ending through a Chalice because it's X or less. Um, so Prismatic Ending, besides being just a good card in general, is a great card with Chalice of the Void. Yeah, I was actually just going to ask, uh, what is the, uh, what is it? It's a single white exile target. Uh, I don't know if it's permanent. It might be permanent uh, mana value one. I think it's Isolate. Oh, um uh isolate that's right yeah is, is it might be one or less i think it's one or less i think you can hit zeros with it but yeah it's just bad um it is instant unlike prismatic ending um but it you can't cheat it through chalice right but is it i mean if there were ever a time for it it seems like it might be now but also with an uptick well chalice, it, w it would not. be if that card were if that card were at all playable i think it would have been played before now and in modern at least or maybe legacy but it's just not i mean the the the, the absolute um it, it's it's ceiling is not that high and its floor is brutal because yeah you know there's just a lot of game states where it's just not flexible enough like that's one of the great that's one of the reasons why lightning bolt will always be one of the most played cards in modern because at its rate it is not only exceptionally good but it's flexible you could do so many things with a lightning bolt. Lightning bolt is not one function. It is many functions. Um, and uh, the colors that it's in, the color that it's in, uh, usually leads to its function. But you can splash red in other colors for tools that you wanted. So, yeah. I, I, I mean, Isolate's just not going to not gonna make the cut anywhere. I, I just don't think that's the case. And uh, now that we have Prismatic Ending, it will never need to. Um, sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, portable hole kind of covers that angle too like it's the the artifact synergy version of um prismatic ending um so general's moon base is there it's a sort of mardu shell um 
And then I linked my red green assault loam deck. Um, I did get a four one with it first time out. Um, I think it's reasonably well positioned, but I think there's probably a lot of um, cutting of darlings that could be done to it. I think maybe a Naya shell that uses prismatic ending that uses Nahiri might be really good. I think Ren and Six is pretty good right now. So Chalice and Ren and Six are pretty good. Um, prismatic ending is good. One card I do want to highlight from it. Um, especially if you're playing um, Blood Moon, is a piece of technology from the one, the only, Emma Hayashi, um, the sort of, I don't know, progenitor or popularizer of Oblosh Red, um, is Spike Field Hazard. So Spike Field Hazard is a single red mana for an instant. Uh, it deals one damage to any target. If that target was a creature and it dies this turn, exile it. Uh, instead of putting it in the graveyard. The most important thing about this card is that it's an MDFC. It's a modal double-faced card. On the backside, it's a tapped red land. And the reason that's important is under Blood Moon, it's an untapped red land, but it's a one CMC removal spell that when you have a Chalice in play, isn't dead. Being a tap land is plenty okay if you're playing a mid-rangey kind of deck. Um, yeah, that's so, spicy. Yeah, if 4x Prismatic Ending with your Chalice isn't good enough, if you're playing a red deck, uh, Spike Field Hazard might be the place to go. Um, same with uh, Shatter Skull Smashing, which is the mythic from that set as well. For red, red, and X, you deal X damage divided to um, any number, or sorry, up to two creatures or planeswalkers. And then I think if that X is higher than six, it gets doubled. I've never done it before. Uh, but I believe that's the case. So um, when was the last time you took this for a spin? Uh, well, I want to say it was like a only a week and a half ago. Like, I think it was after the last stream. I remember I watched Commando and I played uh, a, a, the, the first League of uh, Red Green Assault Loam. So that was either two weeks ago or like maybe three weeks ago. Um, I could find it on my channel. Uh. Um so the, the first league that I played was off stream. That was a 4-1. And then on stream, I think I've only gotten like a 2-3 and a 3-2. Um, how? It, it, it is. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I, I was just going to ask, how has Clothis been in this particular meta? Because I, on the one hand, it is eating graveyard. Uh, but on the right. other hand, you know, I've heard some complaints that it's just glacially slow. Um, and so did you yeah, find it Yeah, it's definitely was... slow. Okay. Um, I mean, in a more prison-oriented deck, it was great because it, like, buffered my life total. Sometimes it came alive as a blocker. Sometimes it came al alive as an attacker. Like, I mean, it, it kind of played a lot of roles really nicely. Like, really, really nicely. Um, but uh, if I... If, oh, am I going to tell you... Oh, so it was only a week ago was the last time I played the uh, blue, the green-red Assault Loam deck. Just feels like a lot longer. Um but, uh, yeah, it's, it, uh, I mean, Clothis was definitely, like, a good part of the deck. It, it sort of exists as, like, the fourth uh, assault, uh, a seismic assault. Okay. Um, I think okay. this deck list is only playing three of those. Um, and it's possible that, like, again, Red Green Prison is a good shell, but you don't need to play the um, Seismic Assault or the Life from the Loam. Like, just playing Red and Six, uh, just playing uh, Bone Crusher is good enough. And so, just being brutal with myself about the best parts of this deck potentially pushed me in the rec and, and And having been um, sort of prompted to play this Mardu version of a Red-White Prison deck prompted me in the direction of, 
I think maybe Red White Prison, if you want to play Chalice and Blood Moon, might be the place to be. Um, so I threw together some notes here, and then I realized in the most recent 5-0 dump, there was a, a deck that was a bit similar to this. So uh, my notes were, if you want to play Red White Prison, the cards that I think are very well positioned are 4 Chalice, 4 Blood Moon, um, probably 4 Nahiri and 1 Emrakul. I think Season Pyromancer and Fury um, really nicely um, add to this strategy, although... If you want to play Solitude instead, that's definitely an option. So Solitude, of course, is the pitch elemental from Modern Horizons 2. It's uh, three white-white, so five mana value total for a 3-2 flash. When it enters the battlefield, you swords to plowshares a creature, so you exile it, and the controller gains life equal to its power. Um, you can target your own creatures with this if you want to, so you could always exile Solitude to Solitude to gain three life for five mana. Um, but it is a 3-2 lifelinker, at flash speed that exiles something. It's normally played with Ephemerate, but I think in this kind of list, you can maybe get away with um, not. Um, with Chalice, with Blood Moon, um, if you could make sure your white count was good enough, um, then Solitude is probably a really good place to be. Um, but I think Season Pyromancer is such a good card right now, and especially for this kind of deck, um, in protecting you from aggressive strategies, in making sure your card flow gets you to where you want to be, in being a source of card advantage when the game gets into grindy, low-resource states, as it often does right now. Um, it puts tokens in out of the graveyard. I mean, Season Pyromancer, there's a reason it's a, a, one of the most valuable cards out of uh, Modern Horizons 1. So um, with that pushing your, your sort of pip count in a red direction, maybe Fury will be good enough. And Fury is quite reasonable right now. I mean, it's not insane, but it's it's pretty good. So um, there's probably different versions of the red-white prison deck that could exist. So just I, I would say one of the bigger distinctions you want to make very early on is, do I want to play Solitude or do I want to play Fury? Because you probably want to play Chalice. You probably want to play Blood Moon. None of those have white pips. Uh, but you're probably going to draw at least one redundant Nahiri over the course of a game, and hopefully you're slowing the game down enough that you can pitch to a Solitude or, or end up hard-casting Solitudes. So um, I, I would have to do a bit of experimentation, a bit of iteration in this direction if I wanted to solve the best red-white prison shell. How, how do we think um, Manatith is positioned right now? You know, is Ooh, the land... Well, I just wouldn't want to play it with... with chalice sure i think chalice is way better positioned than mana tithe although i mean it's possible and that's the other thing is like this core has mentioned zero copies of boom bust zero copies of cleansing wildfire zero copies of pillage right, right. that's kind of um, what i was wondering and the deck that i linked here um for reference um was from the deck dump and this was playing four boom bust four cleansing wildfire with Cascading Cataracts, Flagstones, and um, some Rustvale Bridges in their own main deck. Rustvale Bridges, of course, is a red-white tapped land. It's an artifact, and it's indestructible, so you can Cleansing Wildfire that for Acceleration. Um, so this deck is playing four Pillage and one Stone Rain, uh, four Cleansing Wildfire, four Boom Bust, with the sort of, quote, indestructible lands of the Flagstones as, as ways to sort of cheat on that. And um, this deck is playing Fury, is playing Karn, is playing a braid with some extra main deck liquid metal coatings. Um, so clearly, as proof of concept, someone found something similar to what I was thinking about and took it out and had some success. I don't think this is the only way to do it, but I do think Karn gives you tools against a broader metagame. I don't think you have to play Karn, but it, it, playing Karn is obviously a, a good choice. But anyway, back to the Manatithe point. I think Manatithe is probably a bad 
a bad bet when you want to play 4x main deck chalice it's just oh yeah absolutely um, i think that's it's just it's just the ceiling is so high on 4x main deck chalice right now it's just i i wouldn't if I was playing something that wanted to play Mana Tithe, I would give some very serious consideration to Chalice instead. And on the upside, it means you're going to have more answers to turn one Ragavan. But on the flip side, you can get that number of answers by playing 4x Prismatic Ending and 4x Spikefield Hazard in your Blood Moon deck. Yeah, I think um, the Spikefield so, Hazard in particular. I mean, all of these Ragavan decks, or not all of them, uh, but you know, particularly the, the Black-White um, mid-range is looking to play Lurus and recur it and things like that and so being able to tag stuff like even a DRC that hasn't flipped yet and just get it out of the game seems like a, a pretty pretty good place to be right now yeah I think so and like tagging mana dorks can be relevant um, poking planeswalkers is relevant sometimes I mean I was just I I didn't expect that much out of Spikefield Hazard, but I really, really, really want to emphasize that, like, M. Hayashi, and you can find him on Twitter, you can find him um, on YouTube. I think it's just at M. Hayashi. I think that will find it. Um, he might be, like, Modern Mike or something like that. Um, let me just confirm that. But um, generally speaking, like, oh, Magic Matt. Sorry, he's a Magic Matt on, uh, on YouTube. But um, this is a person who's just, like very competitively focused um very similar to aspiring spike but unafraid to try cards that might look ridiculous because if you had said that most most players if they told you i'm gonna play dromoka's command in my bant um stone blade kind of deck uh, I think I think a lot of people would be like, well, that's ridiculous. Like, what are you doing? Like, you can't play Dramokas Command in Modern. Dramokas I don't even know what it command. does, but nobody plays that. More like Dr right. nobody, nobody plays it. Command. Yeah, right? <laughs> More like Jebated Command, am I right? Um, but it turns out that one of the modes on Dramokas Command is target player sacrifices an enchantment. You know what's an enchantment? Urza Saga. You know what one of the other modes on Dramokas Command is? Uh, a creature you control deals damage equal to its power to a creature opponent controls. I don't even think it's a fight. Um, let me just make sure. Uh, but the more important thing is that pairs up with, um, yeah, target creature you control fights. Okay, but it pairs up with uh, Ice Fan Kotal, which is playing in the same deck. So, um, and M. Hayashi um, from things like uh, Hammer of Bogarden, uh, Spike Field Hazard, um, Pyrite Spellbomb, playing Relic of Progenitus with Dragon's Rage Chandler has managed to um, put these shells in places where he's been able to be successful with them, playing with cards that other people maybe criticize, maybe don't believe in, maybe wouldn't even try. Um, Actually, so, Relic. Just big props. Why are we not seeing yeah. more Relic? We have so much that wants to use the graveyard. I mean, I know it's slow if you're just hitting it turn after turn, but, uh, you know, is is it i guess tormod's crypt is just that much better if you need to get rid of it in a hurry but relics well seems like i mean a nice, the, this just the symmetrical effect sucks sure um, for a lot of decks and then um um it's yeah i mean letting your opponent choose which card it is is i mean in most matchups should not, not going to be good enough so if you've played against dragon's rage chandler recently um if you're letting them 
just basically choose which card they're keeping. That means they're always keeping Delirium, so you're not really doing that much yeah. until you sacrifice it. So, um, And as we've said, efficiency is the name of the game. Having to play a one-mana artifact and pay one mana to sacrifice it, like even though you get the card back, I think probably it's just not good enough most of the time. Then yeah. you also have to find a deck where you can afford, quote-unquote, to play Relic just to hate on cards of the graveyard where you could be addressing them in other ways. So... I mean, I think between all those things, there are relics floating around, but they're not like a big deal. It's like relic, soul guide, lantern, Tormont's crypt do this like interesting dance of being the artifact uh, graveyard hate pieces, uh, and graph diggers cage to an extent, and they just sort of they they have their pluses and minuses depending on uh, what deck you're playing and what particular issues you have in the metagame. Yep. No, that makes sense. So, um, yeah, so um, nice to see that other people are playing decks along the same lines as I see. So if you're interested in a prisony deck, um, I would highly recommend red, white, Nihiri stuff. Um, Nihiri can exile your opponents, um, Urza Sagas, if they play them. So that's a big deal. Um, the chalices on zero are very good against the food decks because they cancel out as mora on one they're insane against a lot of decks um uh karn is very good shuts down cookbooks and stuff that are already in play and again food has not been a big deal recently but i can almost guarantee you after what has happened in the challenge results today and what we're likely to see tomorrow within the next week i would uh i would posit a resurgence of food decks um so if I have to make a quote-unquote hot take, if I have to make a call on the format, I'm, I'm seeing food coming back a little bit. Um, maybe not a huge, huge way, but certainly more than it has been the last three or four weeks where it's been just totally absent. Um, so, um, And I do want to call out a couple more decks that are in the show notes here. I'll, I'll probably just move them to the end of the document. Um, so Jiggy Wiggy had a deck that was a canonist control. So this is the evolution of an Areo... Uh, Canonist deck, so it was sort of prisony. Uh, I was playing Areo Sonotami Ascendant, which is one of Jiggy Wiggy's absolute favorite cards. Um, it had been by the time I got my hands on it, as you guys had mentioned, it wasn't. We played that and we, we talked about that, that in the last episode, and I have a um, update underneath that called uh, Urza Affinity. Uh, I think it was called Urza Affinity Blade actually when I played it, because uh, it's playing Stoneforge Mystic, it's playing Urza's uh it's playing a bunch of affinity stuff um some of the newer versions i was trying out Dacon's tiny splash into esper um those decks were fun uh, they're they're pretty tricky right now but uh affinity's back a little bit so maybe what what was your feeling on Dacon? how did you like Dacon? uh i honestly when i played it in the esper or affinity blade i think i basically drew and played it no times because oh, um, no. i was only playing two of them yeah no i mean it, it just that's just the way it worked out um i tried playing a deck from cave dan the other day which was cave dan's like super friends list with um felidar sahili combo and uh, karth the lion mm -hmm. uh, i played a few karth the lion decks in the last couple days um I mean, Cave Dan's deck just fell apart every single matchup I played it in. <laughs> uh, I got thought seized. I got all of my stuff destroyed. I got my face pushed in. 
Um, so I played two leagues of like a Jund Karth deck. So Karth the Lion, for, for anyone who hasn't read it, it's a rare from Modern Horizons. It's two green and a black, so four mana value for a 3-5 legendary creature human warrior. And when it comes into play, you dig seven cards deep to put a Planeswalker in your hand. So if there are enough Planeswalkers in your deck, you're going to draw a card there, and it's going to be a Planeswalker. And it also has the same trigger if a Planeswalker you control dies. Um, so if you have Planeswalkers in play and they die, you get to dig seven cards deep to pick up another Planeswalker, which is great value in a Super Friends deck. Additionally, he's got a static text that makes me very excited because it makes me uh, it reminds me of Oath of Teferi. Um, it says that Planeswalker loyalty abilities uh, have an additional plus one cost, uh, which is unintuitive. But what it means is if your if your Planeswalker uh, ability cost was plus one, it's now plus two, which is an advantage. And if your Planeswalker ability cost was minus one, it's now zero. Um, so if you hopefully you remember how negative numbers work. Um, finding the square root of your negative cost is going to be difficult, but solving for the negative cost with Karth in play is pretty straightforward. Um, anyway, so I played a Jund Karth deck that was splashing white for Kaya, and that was a good time. I, I played a 3-2 and a, like, a really tight 2-3 in the second league. Uh, it's just like super grindy. Um, a lot of the top meta decks actually have a problem with this deck because every Planeswalker you play kills one of their creatures, and then they have to kill it. Otherwise, it's going to eventually kill another one of their creatures. Grist was good like that. Liliana the Veil was good like that. Liliana the Last Hope was good like that. Um, and then it also has Karn in there to sort of get ensnaring bridges and sort of help close out the game. Um, but there's just the general power level of the deck was a little lacking. Um, every time I ran into a blue deck that was able to play any kind of tempo strategy, we were just toast. Um, because your whole deck is like three and four cost clunky cards. Um, so it was very difficult to keep up with anyone who could like play spell pierce basically. Yeah. Um, uh, then I tried cave Dan's list, which I alluded to earlier, which was all five colors, birds of paradise, utopia sprawl. Um, oath of Nyssa is a huge card for these super friends decks because you can spend mana on any, any mana that you have. You can spend it as though it were any color, as long as you're playing a planeswalker. But the, the, the decks just still, I just felt like I was getting picked apart and destroyed. So, um, the deck that I've still been playing the most in any kind of competitive setting has been Velomachus Turns. And one of the things that's huge about Velomachus in this current meta is you have a lot of very valuable individual cards and your, quote, combo kill is essentially a one-card kill. So basically, the whole deck can operate very well from low resources, either clawing its way back into a mid-range game or just pulling a win out of basically thin air. Um, which feels like a place you need to be right now unless you design your entire deck on the sort of opposite axis of everything being hyper efficient but with a sort of uh consistently big strategy so these Luris decks are very like all the cards feed the graveyard and the graveyard feeds these other cards right like dragon's rage chandler and mishra's bauble make sure you have delirium for your dragon's rage chandlers but they also feed your croxa so whenever you find one you're gonna be able to play it and then you have discard spells but you also have dothy voidwalker so dothy voidwalker sometimes gets to turn into an emrakul like you have all these layers of efficiency like the hyper-efficient cards that are synergistic with each other. Same with the Murktide deck. Same with the, you know, and that's usually the axis on which modern acts. So, um, but Cave Dan's deck 
didn't seem to have that on the same level. I mean, the level of efficiencies you had sometimes was like Felidar Guardian with a Nissa, uh, Oath of Nissa in play, which was just not for for in in my experience just didn't get the job done. Sure. Now maybe it's pilot error. Maybe I just wasn't able to navigate my way through the matchups. I mean, and he did have a really hectic sideboard where it was like I think there was thirteen different cards in the fifteen card sideboard. Oh wow. Um, yeah. Which was just, like, really difficult to navigate on one league, well, right? I mean, I was just like, okay, I guess I want my one Rest in Peace and my one Dovin Hand of Control and my second copy of Dacon. Uh, uh, maybe? They don't, they don't call him the Modern Whisperer for nothing. Yeah, no. And uh, so hats off to Cave Dan for the construction, for the results with said construction. But uh, I found it a little bit inscrutable. Um, maybe the meta has shifted under under our feet a little <laughs> bit. Um, maybe he got really lucky with his league. Not that I want to, you know, but Scred won a GP, so <laughs> one five zero in Modern does not a uh, established deck make for sure. I, uh, I I mean we've we've gone a bit astray, but I'm I'm just hoping to hear good news about Dakon. I have been playing him in an Esper Wurza brew. Uh, that I probably should have thrown in here to talk about. I took the the first run to a, a three two. Um, mm. It kind of sk- skirts away from the traditional goblin engineer plan. Plays four were uh, and two reshape uh, because I actually liked the reshape plan from the weird full reshape brew that I did. Um, and basically, Dacon is like kind of everything that deck wants. Uh, you know, it kills creatures or it exiles creatures, which is even more important. And it surveils two turn after two turn, which is amazing for trying to find that missing combo piece. Um, you know, one of the big problems with the deck is often that you can't find Urza. And the fact that you can, you get so much card filtering is nice. It means that you can go a little bit easier on things like the Witching Well, which is like just objectively not a great card, uh, especially if you're not recurring it. Um, and so I'm just eager to hear how other people uh, think and feel about Dakon because I think that it is a powerful planeswalker, and I think that that was sort of identified early on. We just haven't quite found the right home for him. Well, it's difficult with the triple color cost Absolutely. and his loyalty. His loyalty being contingent on the number of lands you have in play. Yep. Um, I did play an Esper. Um, Wurza deck. I'm going to call it a Wurza deck. I think it was playing zero Wurv Inventions, but it was like a Esper mid-range Urza deck with the Thopter Sword combo. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was one that did well in one of the first challenges of Modern Horizons 2 season. Um, I'm sure you saw it when it happened, but this is like four weeks old by now. Um, but I played one league of that one, and I was impressed with Dakon in that deck. Um, the deck had like Esper Sentinels, and it's Stoneforge Mystics, and it had Urza, and it had Thopter Sword combo. It had no Cauldra Complete, but it did have a Batter Skull. Um, and so, one, I mean, first of all, one of the things I liked about that deck is Stoneforge Mystic quite frequently wasn't getting a card that you never ended up casting. Um, uh, we've we've seen the Monkey Blade, Jeskai Monkey Blade decks have totally fallen off this metagame for the most part. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons why is because the metagame is pulled down so hard um, to focus on one and two drop creatures and creature removal. Um, 
being able to go turn one monkey, turn two Stoneforge just isn't good enough anymore. And if you don't have the monkey, playing turn two Stoneforge definitely isn't good enough anymore. Um, so you just end up putting a cauldron complete in your hand that never ever does anything unless you manage to make it to turn seven. And then, which sometimes you do, but then it's like, why did you bother playing the Stoneforge? You could have been playing a Murktide region and resolve that like three turns earlier. Yep. Uh, as a seven-seven flyer, I so honestly um, have not seen a Caldra complete. Like uh, on, you know, I've been flipping through streams and whatnot. Caldra just never seems to stick either. You know, you prismatic ending the uh, the germ. I've seen Brazen borrow or bounce the germ. You know, we haven't even talked about all the Cascade decks that that have been oh, sort yeah. of in and out. Well, and and yeah. The, the places I do see Cauldron most often are out of the Black-White Stoneforge decks. The the more talented pilots, um, I think, or the more knowledgeable ones uh, that I've played against, will frequently mulligan to six or five. Very aggressive mulligans to either turn one or turn two grief plus an effect that brings grief back. Mm -hmm. uh, whether that be Ephemerate, Malakir Rebirth, or Undying Evil. And the reason that that's a big deal for them is be when they do that, then they're able to play a Stoneforge Mystic on the next turn with a reasonable shot that it survives and it gets the culture complete and it does put it into play. That makes and sense. Those decks, and sometimes they're playing Tide Hollow Sculler too. Tide Hollow Sculler, of course, we know can be a beast with uh, Ephemerate. And so, and this deck is also playing Solitude. Solitude is a huge blowout against a lot of creature decks. Um, somehow black white deck that's trying to ephemerate grief etc nonsense on turn one is also able to play um, solitude but it makes sense because if you're if you're playing all these cards to shore up grief the same cards shore up solitude so yeah. even if your white count or black count is a little bit suspect the fact that the ceiling is so high on it makes it worth going in for um, and then again the ceiling on stoneforge mystic with Cauldra is fairly high. I mean, there's a, there's a good number of decks that still aren't packing that many answers for the Cauldra because they have enough answers for the Stoneforge. They're not going to worry about it until they get double or triple Thought Seized because these decks are also playing Thought Seizing Inquisition sometimes in some numbers. So those decks are able to make that happen um, and, and make you make you really pay for it sometimes. So um, in terms of, you know, just meta forces, uh, those are tricky. So looping back to Dacon... Um, the the Esper Stoneblade deck that I had played was was able to use Stoneforge for value, even if it wasn't getting the culture complete, because putting the Sword of the Meek in your hand was a big deal. Once your opponent saw that, they had to um, respect the fact that you can get Thopter Sword and respect the fact that you can get Thopter Sword with Urza in play and they just win the game on the spot in theory. Um, but that deck was also playing a large number of other creature threats um, or other creatures that were a magnet for removal because uh, I hate playing Emery in Urza decks if it's the only creature you have other than Urza. Yeah. Uh, I think that it's just... I, 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 I commented on um, one of the most recent um, challenges where someone was saying, why wasn't Dom Harvey's Urza deck playing Emery? And I was like, well, it would be the only other creature, and this whole format is just teeming with removal. Yeah. Um, a lot of which doesn't deal with Urza particularly well, but will definitely kill your Emery, right? Unholy Heat just is going to kill your Emery. Um, you know, there's tons of stuff floating around that's just going to kill your Emery and not care about your Urza. Yeah, the difference and, between three and four for Prismatic Ending is huge, right? Yeah. 
But even even more than that, it's two toughness versus four toughness. It's sure. turn oh, yeah. one sure. or two versus turn you know four or five. So there's a lot of reasons where it just feels like very often it's going to be a wasted slot. And I, there are matchups where it's going to work out, but still. Um, but if you're playing Esper Sentinel, if you're playing Stoneforge, and then you're playing Emery, and then you're playing Urza, like now you're cooking. So yeah, that Esper version, again, like I think it's very important to always remember the lessons that Jiggy and I learned about brewing with uh, the Kinnon deck, where if you want to play uh, creatures in modern that are sort of high value um you have to have a density of them Mm -hmm. so that you run your opponent out of removal um and then if that's not enough sometimes you have to start playing unearths and lurises and um if you've played against these decks you understand the feeling of i've had all this removal and it wasn't enough that's where you need to get to uh, if you want to play those decks and play them well yeah um you need to be able to play things like Spell Pierce, things like Counterspell, things like Inquisition, things like Thoughtseize. The reason these are staples is because they allow you to have a maybe even a slightly lighter density of these things than you would have required to otherwise, but you're able to solve the removal and that the value of those permanents uh, is what you need it to be when you spent the resources to protect them. So yeah, that's that was a good good segue out of all that prison nonsense. Um, but uh, you know, to to recap how the format feels, I mean, while the queues have frequently been brutal, uh, the the brewing the brewing blood is running strong. There's lots of stuff pumping, jumping out there. Um, Fran F. Paulus uh, came up with this Naya Titania Urza Saga deck with Renin sixes within the last week or so that is uh kind of popping off that affinity's been sweet. making its whack oh it's it's super cool uh doom wake uh five owed with it and i believe he made a video about it afterwards so um you can check out doom wake's video about the naya um, reclaimer deck um sort of the the newer version of sort of the the green white reclaimer deck that uh, fran once created so um yeah there, i mean there's there's plenty of uh, brewing going on within the constraints of this you know brutal efficient modern format. Yeah, and uh, I you know I man not to 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 go off on another tangent. Um, one of the cards that we did not talk about that has started to make a little bit of a splash from uh, Adventures in the Forgotten Realms is Tasha's hideous laughter, and oh yeah, with the compression down into being hyper efficient. Tasha's is milling, you know, I think I saw somebody said um, against, I want to say it was against Doomwake. It was like a mill 36. Whoa. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't know. I saw some some chatter in uh, in various channels. You know, somebody actually did the math. And, like, on the low end, you're probably going to get it. It was uh, Saffron Olive, by the way. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think he did the, the big... Uh... Yeah, well, no, and he did a big uh, YouTube video about it. I'm going to link it. Oh, even um, better. But I didn't the, catch the, that. the question was how, what, what is the average CMC of modern decks? And uh, what, so what can you expect to mill? Um, and so he answered that question in the video that I've linked in the closing here. Um, but uh, uh, I, e- even decks like Titan, they're playing 30 lands. So even though they have six drops in them, they also have 30 lands plus like four summoners packed, which is a zero. 
um, plus four amulets, which is a one, like it's actually still quite low. Um, so, you know, doing the math is always what I recommend. Just, just do the math, do the math, trust the math. And then you don't have to futz around with your feelings or your instincts on uh, individual plays. If you do the math, you will know the percentage play that you should take every single time. Well, and if we start to see this uptick in Tasha's, uh, you know, I think that this is this is where some of these these good brewing juices uh, take us. Is uh, affinity becomes a very good deck because the average mana value of an affinity creature is probably around five, right? Like you got your frog mites, which yeah, it's are four. pretty high. You have uh, the the mirror enforcers, which is seven, and now there's the new one that I cannot remember the name of. That is also Sojourner's seven. Companion. There you go. Um, there's Thought Monitor, and then even just like having the cranial platings in there. Yeah, it's it's surprisingly high. Um, so Affinity actually <laughs> blanks Tasha's hideous laughter pretty hard. In addition to having um, a very aggressive game plan. Now they're also. Uh, they can get set back pretty hard by uh, Hercules recall, but uh, yikes! <laughs> been there, yeah, um, been there. Yeah, I've seen I've seen it happen. But uh, anyway, so yeah, yeah. Tasha Sidious laughter Mill definitely uh, someone to keep an eye on. Mill has not rate had a a majorly good weekend, um, even though it's sort of always hovering on the outside right now. So it'll have it'll be interesting day. to see if if. Yeah, I mean they're always ready. Mill Mill is lurking, um, and they're just w- waiting for the moment where people sort of drop their guard a little bit. Um, I mean, one of the other things that I guess if we're gonna get on this topic again just a little bit before we go is that uh, dredge and anything like it just totally absent, and that's a little mind blowing to me. Uh, well, it's got to be the saga decks that are keeping it down because the saga can get you know the graveyard hate fairly quickly into play but i mean from my recollection of playing against dredge i feel like it's not good enough so maybe it's like the fact that murktide region is flying and they can get the uh, narcomoebas out of the way but i wouldn't have thought that that would be enough against creeping chill i mean maybe it's the fact that hammer time just kills you with infects out of nowhere like i'm not sure what it is but dredge totally absent dothy voidwalker and sanctifier and vec are both sure yeah they're not so so in the past it has been that you needed specific graveyard hate largely right and now you've got sanctifier which is good against red black decks and is also graveyard hate and then you have dothy voidwalker which is just main deckable right people are running at main deck and so i i kind of wonder if it's a a splash damage situation here uh, rather than yeah, it might be. you know, being targeted out. And things like Living End get to dodge it, right? Because Living End plays a lot of blue creatures. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it doesn't care about the Sanctifier. Um, they have like infinite little little bits of removal for something like Dothy Voidwalker. So it'll be interesting to keep our eye on the further developments over the next little while um, because we've got a while before uh, the, the, the fall sets of uh, Innistrad part one and part two i believe we're getting like a weird division yeah. coming up soon yeah i i will not be surprised if over the next few weeks we start to see some of the uh older um you know titans of the format like uh maybe a dredge or tron even like where's tron been uh you know sure there's been some new tron hate printed but jamming your karn liberated on turn three still seems pretty good 
Yeah, no, nobody's playing Break the Ice. I mean, I got Break the Ice overloaded out of a Yawgmoth deck, but nobody's playing Break the Ice. Right. I, yeah. Anyway, I would not be surprised to see some of these older decks start to make a comeback as people are, uh, you know, losing interest in their new toys or returning back to some of their old favorites. So. Yeah, and and again, we've got the sort of rock paper scissors going on where it's like the more efficient the format gets the more vulnerable it gets to something like chalice and then the more popular the chalice gets the more mid-range decks that prey on chalice will be able to pop in and crush those decks so Mm -hmm. definitely some wiggle room love it brian brian we we come to the end of this episode jiggy wiggy free but uh somehow soldiering on is there anything that you wish to offer a case of bumps and dumps, baby! Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and say bumps to vacation, uh, for, for the, the good doctor. Um, I know, you know, I joked at the top that, uh, he was on safari or whatnot. I know that he is visiting family. Um, like myself, he lives across the country from his family, and so... Uh, I hope he is having a great time and, uh, you know, getting to see all of the people that he has been unable to see for the past uh, however long. And then on the dumps, um, I'm just going to go ahead and give a big old dump to cancer. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, found out that my my mother was diagnosed um, last week. Uh, and my grandmother had been diagnosed, um, a couple months back. So just, uh, a lot of, um, bad cancer news in the family lately. And, um, I, you know, it's one of those things where I've known people who have had it and, uh, it, you know, even, even my, my, in my family. And it it was always, um, something that like, you know, my grandmother had skin cancer and, the 90s and it you know they they removed it and it was it was gone it wasn't a big deal um and you know uh i don't know i guess it it kind of it crept crept closer and uh you know hitting your your mother is uh is a little bit of a shake up um the good news is it seems like it should be pretty treatable and the doctors aren't overly worried but still uh to anybody who has dealt with this or knows somebody who has dealt with cancer uh just big old fuck cancer yeah i think that's fair and i think cancer would take that with uh you know take it on the chin well you know they 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 know what they did yep yep um and uh yeah i i've i've known someone who uh, passed away from cancer and it's just um you know they they were they were they were too young to be in that situation and it's just uh it's just a tough go and uh but as we know this is sort of the best era that we've ever had for you know being someone who gets that diagnosis and absolutely we can only hope that in the future we're able to continue on the same path as we have with you know vaccine development it's probably been the best that uh the history of mankind has ever been able to put together and uh, we can only hope that we keep moving upwards on this stuff yeah um, yep and we will it's uh people are out there doing the research and um you know we're getting smarter by the day so yep how about you um uh well big bumps to the uh wonderful world of art and artists and the world that's sort of 
starting to boot back up again. Uh, I finally got around to watching uh, Bo Burnham's Inside, which I've been putting off for a while. Um, if you're someone who already has, uh, I don't know, emotional uh, issues and, and, and uh, a rocky relationship with yourself, maybe this isn't the movie to watch for you right now. Um, if you're already cynical about the way the world is and uh, et cetera. But if you like meta commentary, um, if you, if you um, maybe want to poke at the establishment or watch a very brilliant person poke at the establishment or just listen to some quote unquote funny songs, um, then maybe this is the comedy special for you, even though it's one of those things where it's like, is it a comedy special? That, that seems like a very generous definition in my opinion, but all right. Um, I think the, Maybe the last time I was so emotionally compelled was watching Shawshank Redemption. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, big bumps to the artists and the, the artistic world that's uh, coming back together. Um, is there, is there anything I want to dump? You know what, you know what, you know what, you know what D- dumps, dumps on the, on the occasional brutality of that damn modern queue. You, oh, yeah. <laughs> you are a mother, man. I'm just trying. I'm just trying to play bad decks and have a good time sometimes. Uh, just wait till um, you get back to the Friday Night Magic's, man. Uh, I, I really hope. Yeah, you get back I, to I, I really. Well, because you, you know that feeling, right? There's the F and M deck, and there's the, there's the, the one K deck. Oh yeah, right. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. No, for sure. So, and when you take the F and M deck to the one K. Or you take the one K deck to the F and M, you kind of know the feeling you're gonna get there. Uh huh. Like you take the one K deck to the F and M, you're just gonna, you know, feel unbeatable until you run into that other person who brought their one K deck. Versus, you know, when you take that F and M deck to the one K, you're like, okay, I'm gonna be battling up a hill all day, and if I O2 drop this on me, I registered the <laughs> F and M deck at the one K. Yep. Yep. No, I, uh, I, that's that was, you know, going to the first modern event uh, post COVID. I was like, all right, I have this like Esper reshape Urza brew, and then I've got my green black Yogmoth. And uh, I sat down and I noticed that a bunch of the the people that I had seen week after week from Channel Fireball were down at my local game store because Channel Fireball hadn't reopened yet. And so I was like, oh, all right, I, I'm gonna have to play Yogmoth. Like this uh, this this Esper brew is just gonna get trashed on by a bunch of people who are you know hardcore you know, busting out their, their ragavans and whatnot. And I did see some of that, but I ended up playing, uh, some, some jank. Like I said, I saw, you know, mono green stompy and some other stuff. There was a hardened scales player who had like, he had upgraded his deck by adding a single Urza saga. And, uh, I think that's all he had managed to acquire. And just like, you know, he's sitting across from me and I, I don't know what I like force of vigored his Urza saga and his turn one play. And then next turn I played collector hoof. And then the turn after that, you know, I, I like comboed or something. I don't know. It was absurd. And he was just like, Oh, so does your deck always win on turn three? That seems pretty consistent. And I was like, no, no, no. I just got really lucky. And, and, uh, you know, we go into another game and it happens again. And he's like, uh huh. Okay. <laughs> I was just like, ooh. Maybe. It's true, though. The, 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 the Yagmoth deck doesn't normally do that. <laughs> no. Like, that's really fast. Oh, and then I got totally trashed on by elves in the next round. So, you know, it, it came back to bite me. I think it was like a turn three oh, yeah. kill by elves both games. So, yeah, right. But And, and again, elves is one of those deck that, decks that it's like, does your deck always put like 
30 power into play on turn three. And it's like, no, no, it never happens. It's like, well, sometimes, sometimes always. <laughs> well, and, and elves is one of those decks that you will see at the Friday night magic, but you're probably not going to oh, yeah. see in the queues. Uh, well, the queues that that's an interesting thing. Cause I remember like, uh, it was like two or three weeks before modern horizons came up that, uh, there was someone who was like, I don't know. I picked an elf deck and then I top aided. <laughs> that was, that was definitely a story that happened. Um, only a couple of weeks before Modern Horizons, just because, you know, it is a powerful linear deck, and sometimes you run into the right set of matchups, and you you top eight because they can't deal with all your stuff. So, oh, modern. Yeah, that's a lot of that's a lot of modern stuff. That's a lot of brewing stuff. That's a lot of iteration. A lot of decks for people to uh, look at. So, uh, I guess we're gonna be off for another two weeks, and then am I am I hearing you correctly, Brian? The next episode. You're not going to be here. Correct. And Arun is not going to be here. Correct. So, dear listener, I mean, I could pull some Fallout Shelter (laughs) post-apocalyptic junk where I am just broadcasting into the ether. And I might do that. I may do that. Maybe I'll stay up for 36 hours first and then record a two-hour podcast on my own playing off my own uh, internal personalities at that point or we'll have some special guests in either case i will be happy to see you in two weeks brian will be probably happy to see you talk to you guys in four weeks i'm sure rune will be back in four weeks um, and we're going to have a great time then so that's a special preview for i guess the next couple of weeks uh so when we come back on the serum visions podcast so brian thank you so much for joining me and always being part of this podcast happy to have you back of course so uh, I guess we'll see you then, folks. So uh, I'm going to get to bed and maybe play a challenge in the morning. Brian, have a good one. You too. And uh, I'll talk to you in a month. I'll see you in the morning. I, uh, I hope you kill it. Bye. Thanks for listening to episode 23 of the Serum Visions podcast. If you like what we do and want to get in touch with us, you can find us at twitter.com slash serumvisionsmtg. Email us at serumvisionspod at gmail.com or join us on Discord from the link in the episode description of your podcast player or at serumvisions.podbean.com. Went off script. I went off script. Steps, great burners, misstep, tree of tail, seat to go, guard grave troll. Vault of whispers, blazing show, cloud posters gotta go. Green sun zenith, right of flames, and saints defining top. Cars on the modern vanless, don't know how they got there, but they must be unpaid. Cars on the modern